0: Hey Jaxoteers, thanks for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I have another interview. Um, I'll be interviewing Rosie Speranza, who is a disassociated former Jehovah's Witness. Hi, Rosie, how are you?
1: Hi, hi, I'm good, thanks.
0: Excellent, excellent.
1: Nice
0: to be here. Great. So uh, you sent me an email um, not too long ago, uh, just summarizing your story. And um, I read through it and there, there were some really compelling elements to uh, your experiences that I thought merited an, a, a, an interview, which which is great that you um, offered me that opportunity. So thank you very much for that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah,
0: no problem. No problem. <laughs> so how did you um, first become acquainted or become a Jehovah's Witness?
1: So my parents um, were baptized in 69, 68 somewhere around there. And then I was born in 71. So they came in with the big push, you know, the 1975 push. They were uh, 19 and 20, or 19 and 21. My dad's a couple years older. So he had just gotten out of Vietnam. My mom uh, had a two-year-old son. And it was just kind of, it, it just worked for them at the time.
0: Right, right. And are your parents still with us?
1: They are. They are still in the truth, in the truth. Um, it's hard to drop that language. Um, so yeah, and and it's funny how that happened. My, my they weren't together. Um, my mom was studying with a pioneer sister, and um, my dad saw her walking down the street and said, "I'm going to marry that girl." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, it really happened fast. But she said, "You're not getting anywhere near me unless you start studying." So. That's how it happened. They got married and the rest is history, so to
0: speak. (laughs) So how did I mean, only if you if you know how how did they cope with the whole 1975 disappointment thing?
1: Right. So, you know, it's funny. I grew up um, kind of hearing whispers of it, but not really knowing um, about it. So I was born in 71. So 1975, I was only four years old. I remember, I remember around 1980. And I think that's when um, brother, the Fran, uh I can't remember his name, the crisis of conscience guy.
0: Raymond um, France.
1: Disassociated. Yes, Raymond. And um, I remember a book study at our house and there was this super heated discussion. Like it scared me. And looking back I understand now it was about that it was about that whole subject of 1975 and disassociating and disfellowshipping and all of that and how um I remember them talking about how they um the end's not coming yet and one one side was that and the other side was it's coming like right now so um I didn't really talk about it with them very much until November of last year when I started waking up. And then I started asking the question, like, how did you reconcile that with everything? And my dad just kind of said, um, you know, I I always knew it wasn't going to come then. <laughs> I didn't get an answer from my mom. I was talking to my dad mostly during that time. Um, so I, I don't know, really. I think... I don't know. They, they, I grew up saying I was never going to graduate, right? I I'm never going to graduate high school. And here I have a 27 year old child now that graduated high school. (laughs) So (laughs) that didn't happen. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: So growing up as a witness in the aftermath of the uh, failed 1975 prediction, what, what was that like?
1: Um, well, so since I didn't really know that that was an the thing, a thing, um it was just really it was really um strict, a really strict environment, which I'm sure most all of us will uh, will relate to. Um no friends outside. I was a very awkward child, and so I didn't even have friends inside. So I basically I had one girlfriend through my whole life. Um But yeah, it was strict. It was always, um, always about spiritual things. Right. My dad was an elder most of my life. (laughs) So, um, it was, I was an elder's daughter. I had to put, I had to be, you know, putting on the best look outwardly that I can, you know, I'm an example for the other kids in the congregation. Right. So it was tough. It was tough it wasn't half as bad as some other people um a lot of people you know went through a lot of abuse and everything my parents are good people i love my parents um, and they did their best they came from very broken families and they did the best they could for their kids at the time
0: so what age were you when you got baptized
1: i was 11 years old
0: oh wow that's very young
1: yeah. And I didn't get baptized. Um, I thought I was doing it for the right reason, right? But I um, really, it was, I thought maybe this would get me friends, you know, and maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, and then at the baptism talk, I they he said, by now you've already made your prayerful dedication to Jehovah. And I just was like, wait, what? (laughs) I didn't do that. (laughs) You know, I'm an 11 year old kid. What 11 year old kid really understands the concept of what they're getting themselves into, right? I mean, there's no way I would let my own children do something like that. Like it's signing a contract for your life. You don't do that at 11. So we all, that's, I'm preaching to the choir here.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So did, did getting baptized at such a young age, I mean, did it make you feel any different um, where the religion was concerned?
1: Um, I maybe for a tiny bit, um, I think I was, I've always been a rebel. So I've always pushed back against rules and it's gotten me in trouble a lot, but I've always been very like, no, I don't want to, but there was a period of time where I auxiliary pioneered. Um, I thought maybe I might've want, might've want to, go into regular pioneering. But after I did the regular pioneering, I decided that is absolutely not something I want to do, you know, that I just couldn't do it. So there was a little bit of time, but I was more in, I was more interested in um, worldly things than the theocratic things, you know?
0: So, so being interested in worldly things and being a bit of a rebel, how, how did that affect your life as a JW when you got into your teenage years?
1: Oh, it was pretty bad. Um I mean, I held it together until I was 18. But I was already starting down the path. Like I was working at a department store and I was making friends with guys. Um I was like talking to them on the down low, right? And and you know, this was before cell phones, so it was really on the down low. It wasn't like, "Oh, I have my cell phone in my room." kind of thing or I'm texting them. Um so and and then once I was eighteen it was it was done and over basically for me. It was just a matter of time before I got disfellowshipped.
0: <laughs> so you actually got disfellowshipped? Yeah.
1: I did. I did. It's funny, um this guy that I had met, he was ten years older than me or no, 12 years older than me. And he waited until I was 18 before we went out on a date. And I thought at the time I was so innocent and immature and didn't understand the world, right? I thought, oh, how special he's waiting till I'm 18, you know, to go out on a date with me. No, he was just saying, I'm not going to go out with you until you're 18 because I don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the things we don't know, right? Um, And I went out um, with him to San Francisco. And we had an amazing time out and things happened. The very next day, somebody had tattled. I don't know who saw me. (laughs) I don't know how it happened. But somebody, my mom and dad were calling me like, where were you last night? Somebody saw you. And that was the end. I, I got disfellowshipped over that.
0: yeah yeah the the jehovah's witness intelligence network is like second to none i know (laughs) i
1: I don't know like how did how did that happen and i was so angry at that point when i went to my judicial committee i was in this like um trench coat full-length trench coat mini skirt black nylons like heavy makeup really like i was the quintessential uh, person that leaves the truth. Right. I, I was smoking a cigarette in the parking lot at the Keenum hall and I put it out on on the floor because I was like, you know, F you. I was so mad at everybody for, for what I, I knew they were going to do to me and take my family away from me. Right. Because of this. So yeah, got disfellowshipped.
0: Right. Right. And the whole Judicial Committee experience, something, what was that like for you? Only if you're comfortable, um, speaking about it. Oh
1: yeah. No, that's fine. Um, At the time, okay, so I've been disfellowshipped more than once. So that time, I was so angry. I did not, they asked the questions, the normal questions, like how many times and, you know, what type and all of that. And I was just so burning up angry that it didn't really make a big impact on me. I was just like, go ahead and disfellowship me. I don't even care. I hate you guys. And so that one didn't impact me as much as the one down the, the couple down the line. So um, I know they did ask those questions, but I didn't feel uncomfortable because of my my rage was taking over.
0: <laughs> so the later disfellowshipping, um, the one that you know had a negative impact on you, how, how was that different compared to the first one?
1: Um, well, so I had by the time the second one happened, um, I had a child. I got pregnant after I was disfellowshipped, moved back in with my mom and dad, um, and gave birth to my oldest son, and was in for a little while. Um, But like, mostly it was, I I don't know, like, I just want to say, being put out there at 18, raised as a Jehovah's Witness, I just, I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know if I wanted to be a Jehovah's witness or I didn't even have a clue what I wanted to do, so I was just going through the motions right and so I wasn't really in I was going through the motions, but I was in mentally that this is the truth. I just have problems doing it right so about four and a half five years later, i got i I met my ex husband and um that was like horrible. I met him within, um, two months we were married. Um, within a month after that I was pregnant. And then a month after that I had left him. <laughs> wow. So it, was, it was like this, it was, it was crazy. But so I had my daughter, they disfellowshipped me because I got married to, um, uh, somebody that wasn't a Jehovah's witness and I had sex before marriage. Right. So those were the two, um, and they asked me really probing questions on that one, it was super uncomfortable. And what made it even more uncomfortable is that one of the elders on my judicial committee was my best friend growing up, like one of my best friends, there was a group of like five or six of us. And we would literally just hang out every night, just about every non meeting night, we were hanging out. And I i mean, we talked to each other and said, not intimate, like relationship things, but like, bared our soul to each other. And, and they were just really good friends. And then he was on my judicial committee. I know he felt uncomfortable too, because he didn't say much during it. But um, yeah, and then there was another brother on that JC that called me before. And basically, uh, yelled at me and told me I was an awful person and that I was ruining my life and that you're, there's no coming back from this ever. Before the Judicial Committee even happened, he did that. So that one was traumatic for me. That one was really traumatic for me.
0: So it's as if the decision had already been made. It was a foregone conclusion. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, when, when I started um, my activism work, and started you know, re- researching the religion and judicial committees and reading the Shepherd of the Flock of God book. I came across so many, so many reports of people who have been asked the most inappropriate and unnecessary questions in judicial right. committees. And um, I mean, it's so common. It is, it's so common.
1: Right.
0: Do, do you have any thoughts on, on why that might be the case why, why do you think elders ask such inappropriate and probing questions especially to you know uh to women and in some cases women who are like still minors what why, why do you think they do right. that
1: you know i never given that any thought until recently because i always thought oh that's just the way it is even though it makes me feel uncomfortable I feel like right now I can't give you an answer that's not um, like taking other people's opinions. I mean, I've heard the opinions of, oh, they're just dirty old men or, um, you know, it gets them off and all that. So I don't know, but it is really weird to be in that situation and think, why don't you, why are you asking these questions? Why don't you just need to know I did this? I either am sorry, or I'm not move on. You don't need to know what position I was in. You know, what type of things we did? Was there a condom use? There's no need to ask those questions. They're, they're unnecessary for the, I mean, like, if I didn't use a condom, does that mean I'm going to get this fellowship no matter what? Or, you know, like, does that matter? I don't, I don't know. And the Shepherding the Flock book doesn't even say that. Like oh if you ask them this question and if they say yes or no then it means this. They it doesn't even so they're taking it upon themselves, and it's fu- it's interesting how as a whole they're taking it upon themselves. It's almost like they have this in this network, you know, like oh yeah, make sure you ask them these questions, and it's spread through the whole organization to where they're doing that now, right? So I don't get it. My my third my third disfellowshipping, <laughs> that one um, was very traumatic, but yeah, anyway, we're not there yet. <laughs> okay.
0: Right. So, um, yeah. So w- what was the, the, the time difference between the uh, second and third disfellowshipping? What, what time period did that cover?
1: Um, so I got dispelled it, it, it corresponded with the births of my kids <laughs> or the pregnancies of of my kids basically. Um, so it's basically five years between each, my kids are five years apart. Um, and so, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to think. Did I get disfellowship three times? I'm starting to forget. I think I got disfellowship twice and publicly reproved the second time, and that's when I faded. But that one was really difficult. Um, so it was about five years later. I was pregnant with my son, my youngest, and um, that one was with brothers that I grew up with. Not I. Not I grew up with. They saw me grow up. So they were older men in the congregation that um, like were family friends, right? You know, they, they, my, their kids were my friends kind of thing. I mean, friends. I, I didn't have many friends, but we did things together, dinners and camping and all that. Um, and one of the brothers, I really, until this judicial committee, I really um, felt like he was like my second dad kind of, that's how I felt about him. And he was the one that asked all of those questions. Was there oral sex? Did you give oral sex? Did he give oral sex? Was there, um, were you completely nude? You know, did he touch any other parts of your body? You know, it was like invasive. And the first two com- judicial committees that I went to didn't, I mean, the second one, went there pretty close. But this one just like laid it all out. And we're going to ask you all these questions. And I just remember I at that point, I was older, I was in my 30s. And I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to answer these questions. I'm and I'll lie. I'm not I don't care. I'm not going to answer these questions. So I basically lied to them because I didn't feel like, I thought it was a violation. And I didn't, spiritual warfare, you know, if you wanna lie (laughs) on the the part of that, then I I didn't feel bad about lying because it was an invasion of my privacy and they had no reason to know these things. So um, that that was pretty traumatic. Wow,
0: wow. So this was the third time, right?
1: Yeah, that was my third judicial committee. I wasn't disfellowshipped on that one. I was
0: publicly reproved. Right. So did you still continue going to the meetings after that?
1: Um, A little bit. I did. I probably, probably I had my son and maybe, you know, a few months into his life, I was going to the meetings and then I just faded. Um,
0: Yeah. So, so when when you faded, was that because you had any kind of uh doubts about the religion as to whether or not it was the truth or you just found it too difficult?
1: Um, I think so here's the thing, the cognitive cognitive dissidence really had hold of me, uh, strong throughout my life. And I would have periods where I'm like, this is not the truth and then it would go whoop and gone. <laughs> You know, it would just like, that's not happening, and it would just be gone. And I would literally just forget about the things that I was thinking. And it's so bizarre how that happens. So, all through my life, there were times when I felt um, very much like this wasn't the truth. But then, like I said, it would just go away and I'd move on. Um, So, I didn't necessarily fade because of that. I always, up until recently, felt like this was the truth you know, this is it. So yeah, I just faded because I had three kids by that time. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia shortly after my son was born, my youngest was born. And I just, like, I was going through depression. I think I probably had postpartum depression. Um, So there was just things going on. My son, my youngest actually has autism. And so we were discovering, we didn't, he didn't get diagnosed till later, like ten, but he was having problems. Um, so it was just a bunch of things that kind of made me fade.
0: Wow, it's interesting that you mentioned you you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia because you know I've, in my experience, that is an, an illness that is so prevalent among Jehovah's Witness women. Right, it's just like it's yeah. crazy. It's there are as many women in the religion with fibromyalgia as there are men who are window cleaners.
1: Right. I know. It's so strange. So I was diagnosed and then I faded. So I didn't really understand that there were so many people that had it. But then when I came back later, I was so amazed at how many had the same thing I had. And it's, it's, they have, it's kind of like autism. There's a spectrum. And so, you know, there's some people that have it and it's just knock them down. Then others like me that can keep going, you know, and working and stuff, but still have to deal with it. My doctor said my, the birth kind of triggered it in me and that it was always in me. I don't know. That's what she said.
0: Right, right, right. Wow. But, yeah. So, And how are you dealing with that now? Do you, you know, do you still suffer um, with that really badly?
1: Oh, oh yeah, I do. I, I'm i the main wage earner in my family, so I have to work. Um, but but that's basically all I can give to my family is work, because by the time I'm done with my work day, um, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I come, I come home. I craft. Now I come home and I sit at my desk and I just craft until I can't, I have to go to sleep. So,
0: so now obviously you you've woken up and you've realized that it's not the one true religion. How, how did that happen?
1: Well, let's, okay. So let me rewind a little bit if you don't mind. Um, so after I faded, um, I went about 12 years inactive during that time, um, I play video games. I'm a gamer girl. <laughs> and so I'm, I was playing world of Warcraft and, uh, my has, I met my husband
0: mm-hmm.
1: on online. So. Oh, wow. Was yeah.
0: <laughs> was that through so, so world of he- Warcraft? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. that's kind of neat. We have stories. Um, so he lived in Florida and, um, I went, amazingly enough, my mom, my mom and dad and my sister watched my kids while I flew out there for a week, you know, to meet this guy that wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, but this was full into my fade and I had been inactive for, for a few years. Um, and then eventually he moved out here and was living with me, um, for a good long time. And during that whole time, also my son, my youngest son, I mean, it was, um, I. It was a really bad. It was like the dark ages of my life. Um, my my husband um, has severe clinical depression, so I was a caretaker for him. My youngest son um, was really full fledged coming into his autism and he's high functioning and high functioning children are very volatile and their behavior is really bad. So we had walls that had holes punched in them and he would throw things and hurt us. And so it was just like chaotic during that time. Um, and during that whole time my mom and dad said you just need to come back to Jehovah Jehovah this Jehovah's what you need you know you need Jehovah this will help and you know i just kind of a few times i'm like Jehovah's not going to make this kid behave better he's got problems and you know Jehovah's not going to fix that no but it'll help you feel better and anyway eventually they um they got to me <laughs> And sent a sister from the congregation of the territory I lived in and we started studying and uh, I got married. I got my divorce finalized from the at the last guy because I never did that. And then I got married a week later to my husband, who I'd been living with for years and um, went to the meeting the next week and got publicly approved in a congregation of people I didn't even know. Uh, they didn't ask me those kind of questions in this one, which was interesting. It was really like straight, you know, cut and dry. And then, um, so I came back right around the time when they started. I mean, it was like a year or two before they started the whole series of conventions of, you know, endurance and rejoice and all that. So, and I was in. I was so in. Um, I got super love bombed. Mm -hmm. Um, And the congregation I went in had, um, it was an older congregation. There were a lot of older brothers and sisters. And man, those older sisters are a hoot. Mm -hmm. We would go out in service and we had rural territory. We would just like, it was the funnest days as a Jehovah's Witness I had ever had in my life. I mean, we would go to break, we'd just be laughing the whole time. It was just refreshing and so lovely to be around them, those good people, right? Misled, but good people. I didn't think they were misled at the time. (laughs) Uh, So I auxiliary pioneered a bunch um, during that time. And then I started getting depressed. And um, the last couple of years, I've just been in and out of depression. And um, yeah, so... I wanted to kind of give that picture before the wake up. Um, So your question was, how did that start happening? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go back a few years um, when the CSA in Australia came out. Um, I didn't know about that when it first came out. My husband, um, who's not a Jehovah's witness linked me something a couple of years ago about it. And I read the whole article and I was appalled I was like, what is going on? And I immediately, as soon as I read that, I called my dad. My dad's an elder, I called my dad. I'm like, what the heck's going on here? Do you guys do this? And I was very straightforward, like, do you, if somebody is doing this, what do you do? And he gave the answer, well, you know, the rules have changed and we don't do those things anymore. Um, If there's ever somebody, then we like let the uh, family heads know. And he gave me some other answers that were satisfactory to me. (laughs) I don't know why, but they were. It was my dad. I love my dad. Um, And so I said, okay. And I dropped it. And I moved on. And it went whoop out of my brain. (laughs) Um, And so then, like, back in August, I was um, watching a show about carbon dating. And I was just really, um, I was really, like, Gosh, I couldn't reconcile it, right? I couldn't figure out, okay, 6,000 years, says the Bible, carbon dating says this. So who's true? I I feel like I can believe science because they go through testing and they go through, you know, like I could believe the, the theories of science because of the rigorous testing they go through. And so I couldn't reconcile it. And so my brain had been working since August, like something's wrong, something's not right. Um. And then in late August, like the last few days of, not August, uh, October, I was watching Scientology. And that, it's funny, my son walks by and he sees that I'm watching it. And he goes, oh, uh, you know, they made a Jehovah's Witness one. She did a Jehovah's Witness one. I'm like, what? And it's funny, I always watch these cult shows because they're interesting to me. And this one I related to so much. And I hear that a lot. A lot of people did. I like almost every episode. I'm like, yep, that's kind of how Jehovah's Witnesses are. And so when he said that, I was already like feeling that. And I went on search. I went hunting it down and I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. But while I was searching, I came across Apostasy, the movie, and i came across the um fact that they were part of un which was that blew my mind i mean completely blew my mind i mean that so i got this out sorry
0: right this- right <laughs> you know that's apostate <laughs> literature right <laughs> yeah that's 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 old, old light right? old
1: light yeah. <laughs> we went through that three times when i was a kid like, that was drilled into us. The United Nations is bad. It's bad. Like, it's don't touch it. And then to find that, I think it's more impactful for a child that, was, that grew up in that era and read that book three times and got it shoved into their face um, than somebody like the millennials or something. It was mind-blowing to me. And that began the woke. That at that point, I'm like, I'm done, I'm done, and and then it just unraveled from there,
0: pretty much. Well, wow. uh, what you said really resonated with me when uh, you were watching the Scientology documentary, and you said, well, that's very similar to witnesses, and that's similar to witnesses, and that's because I had exactly the same experience when I um after I woke up and I read Stephen Hassan's book, Combating Cult mm-hmm. Mind Control. And when he was describing his experience in the, the Unified Church, or the Moonies, they're the Moonies, as yeah. yeah. A lot of the doctrines that he was describing were, were so similar to Jehovah's Witnesses. And I just, yes. it just blew my mind. It completely yes. blew my mind because, you know, I, I'd already woken up and I knew that the Witnesses didn't have the truth, but I still thought that they were very different from other religions. Mm-hmm. But when I read that chapter of of Stephen Hassan's book and realised that all of these cults are just exact, they're all the same.
1: They
0: are. They're all the same. It's like they're cousins of each other. You right. know, they they they're all descended from one common you know cult ancestor, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And um, it 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 was really astonishing because as a witness, you're you're taught that you're so unique and our religion and our spiritual heritage is so unique and we're so different. And, but then when you look into other cults, you've just realized they're all the same.
1: Exactly the same. I know I read that book too. I listened to that book shortly after I woke up and, um, I, I agree that one chapter where he was describing himself in the Moonies was like this, you could replace Jehovah's witnesses with almost everything in that story. So, yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah.
0: So all of these things, I mean, you, you were searching for Leah Remini's uh, documentary on The Witnesses, but then you found out all of these other things along the way. And before you <laughs> even found uh, the documentary, you'd already woken up. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: did you ever find it in and the then end? I, watched...
1: I, I did find it in the end. I was already like done. I was already done at that point, but I kept trying to find it. And I did finally find it. And um, I think that honestly, it was a good, it was a good show, but I think that wouldn't have woke me up. I think I'm glad that the other things came across my radar, um, because that was really sad, but I don't know that that would have really been the thing that would have been, I'm awake now, you know? So, yeah.
0: Um, I remember studying that Revelation book when I was a kid. We went through it so many times. And um, as an adult, there was one evening I was at work I was working late, and then a fax came through on the fax machine. Yeah, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah, so a fax came through on the fax machine, and it was an apostate like flyer, like an apostate leaflet or something. Just, I don't know. I guess somebody just random was just randomly dialing uh, fax numbers and just sending this thing through. So um, it came through, but I started reading it before I realised what it was and then i saw that you know it mentioned jehovah's witnesses and it mentioned not, um the un affiliation and i actually went to one of my elders and um, asked him about it and he told he, he gave me some you know the 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 standard thing that you know they weren't really members they just needed access to the library right. <laughs> or something <laughs> and it it didn't really pique my interest beyond that yeah. Um, but now that I'm a, I'm awake and I've learned about it, you know, and and know what really happened and seen the correspondence and everything, I'm I'm yeah. completely disgusted, completely I mean, disgusted.
1: They, what they had to agree to, in order to visit the library, was like, uh, brothers and sisters in Jehovah's Witness organization have died for lesser things. Yeah absolutely and it disgusts me they've been disfellowshipped for lesser things yes and that they will protect themselves and let all of these others just you know be killed put put be put in prison be disfellowshipped it's don't get me started (laughs) i mean
0: and the thing is that the kicker was that this information in the library that they're so desperately needed was available elsewhere without having to right. become a, a, an NGO of the United Nations. Right. You know, so it was an excuse. But even if the information right. wasn't available anywhere else, even if they that was the only place they could get the information, mm-hmm. it would still be a complete, you know, completely right. hypocritical.
1: No, it's, it's like double standard.
0: Absolutely. An absolute double, double standard. standard. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your life? Like now that you've woken up com- in compared to yeah. being, you know, captive by the doctrine mm-hmm.
1: So it was a big it was a whirlwind um, so November I woke up I told my son about it um, And then I told my parents about it on Christmas Eve, I went over to my mom and dad's house and it was my um, My mom and dad my older brother and my younger sister My um, other brother didn't come and my sister other sister lives in Sacramento. There's five kids in our family um, and so I told him, I just told him there was a lot of crying and and there was a lot of harshness that came from them. My dad kind of nastily said, Oh, yeah, your your mental health's gonna be a lot better now, isn't it? You seem like really mentally ill. So it, he at the moment, I didn't think that's what he was getting at, but then I, the more I think about it, it's like, oh, okay. So he's taken the mentally ill route. <laughs> right. And my sister, you know, initially said, do you want to do this so you could do bad things? And it, like, I had had some rocky roads in the past and me and her had talked about it. And, and she says that's what she meant. But it was, it was hurtful. It's like, no, actually, I'm choosing to leave this time. I'm not being kicked out. And I'm choosing only to leave the religion. I'm not choosing to leave you. And there was this big thing about, you know, that everybody goes through. It's like, well, you left us. Nope, that didn't happen. Let's be clear on the choices each of us made, right? You're choosing to leave me. And I am just choosing not to believe what the Jehovah's Witnesses say anymore. So, um I I told him then I got disassociated on the 18th of January this year. And um, it's been hard because our family, what I thought of our family while I was mentally in, I thought we were very close. I thought it was family was ride or die. But the more I process it and try to get out of this stuff out of my my head, I realized that I was not really necessary to them. It's because, you know, they, I was always a rebel all growing up. So I was a difficult child. I left and they were probably hurting. I mean, I could understand as a parent, they were probably hurting, missing me, but they, they thought they were doing the right thing by shunning me when I was younger. But then once I got pregnant, all of a sudden I was useful to them because I had their grandchildren. And I really feel like, I think my mom and dad are really good people. But I think that there was this twisted kind of love going on, that maybe they don't even know they were doing. You know, I don't think they're malicious people. Um, But yeah, it's interesting, because now that they're grown, they were more concerned about my son, they were like, my older son, like, we're not mad at you. And they wanted to keep him because he's their shining star. He's like, he gives really good uh, answers at the meeting. He's like, very intellectual and smart. He is super smart. And he actually, all three of my kids were not raised in the truth. They were raised around the truth. They were raised by this mentally in mom. So they didn't get birthdays. They didn't celebrate holidays. Um, But they were also free to choose what they wanted. I always made sure that, like, I'm not going to force you to be this person. That's not okay. I hated it. I'm not going to do it to you. So um, so there's been a lot of trauma going on between the family. I reached out to them about a month after, and I said, you know, I really miss you guys. It's heartbreaking. It's, like, unbearably so. And my mom says, come back to Jehovah. <laughs> and that, like, pissed me off so bad like, you are my mom. And that's all you can say to me is come back to Jehovah. I just poured my heart out to you. And you just say come back to Jehovah. Not I love you too. I miss you too. I mean, even a little bit of that would have been nice. I wish you would come back to Jehovah. But I love you. And I miss you. Nothing like that. And and it just pissed me off. And so <laughs> I went on a rage. <laughs> And I just, I said, I'm so effing angry that you guys are treating me this way, and and and, then I like rattled off a bunch of truths that I know about the UN and about the CSA, and I just like boop 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 boop. So yeah, it, it. And since then, I haven't said, I haven't talked to him at all. So,
0: right. so and that I was want, that, that was January this year.
1: That was probably February.
0: February. Right. By and, then, that was February. And that's the last yeah. time you spoke to your parents.
1: Yeah, I mean th- this is a family that talks all the time. We text back and forth, you know, every week we talk whatever. We've been waiting to get back together and and
0: now I'm I'm
1: not a part of that anymore. I'm dead.
0: Well, that's a shame. You know I, how it is. Of course I know how it is, you know, it's it's it doesn't make it any easier to hear that someone else is, you know, going through the same thing. Yeah. No matter how many yeah. times you hear it, you know, yeah. it's it's not an uncommon situation, but each time you hear it, it's just as saddening.
1: Right, it is. But you know, my mental health was really bad when I was in. And I I literally for the last two or three years, my prayer to Jehovah has been please, Jehovah, help me not to be such a bad person. And that's because I couldn't live up to anything. I could not live up to anything. And so because I couldn't live up to anything, I felt horrible. I felt like a bad person. And I just, like, literally wished he would just help me not to be a bad person, <laughs> you know? And so it, my mental health is so much better, even though I'm going through this grieving process of losing my family, which is subsiding, right? It, it's gonna, it's gonna calm down. There, I'm gonna have moments all my life, I'm sure, but it's subsiding and I feel it subsiding. I don't I go I go at this point I go hours without thinking about them which is way better than it was in the beginning because in the beginning it was like every second of every day it was like they were there in my mind in my brain and I miss them so much but now I could go um, a good period of time and it's just getting longer and longer so um, you know I'm, I'm looking to the future to things that I want to do
0: Yeah. I mean, personally speaking, I mean, I mean, it's, it's true of all of us who have left, you know, the quote unquote, the truth that, mm-hmm. you know, you when you leave, you pay a heavy price. And I, I know I've certainly paid a heavy price when it comes to, you know, relationships with friends and family. Yeah. But I found that my mental health and my resilience and fortitude and all of those kind of things have improved so much that it makes that loss much easier to deal with than mm-hmm. than if you were to lose the same thing while still being a Jehovah's Witness. So I think things right. that would have devastated me years ago I'm able to cope with now. Do do, do you find a similar thing? Mm-hmm.
1: I'm finding that to be true. I mean it's still fresh obviously because it just happened but I am finding it to be um, I it's interesting because all our lives we've been trained to trust in Jehovah. And and before you make any decision, you pray to him. And I've always been rebel and independent and make my own decisions, but then I feel guilty for not praying. And now I just don't have, I have that lifted from me, right? And now I'm just like, listen, I made it this far, pretty much making decisions on my own. I can go much farther, not having that fog over me, you know, and not being feeling guilty for making a, a decisive move for my life that I think is good. And I'm going to make mistakes. Of course we all do. I'm going to decide wrong sometimes, but I mean, I took a job um, in February at a local city government and I had to pledge, I had to pledge my, basically pledge my allegiance to the state and to the, and to the federal government. And I wouldn't have done that if I was Jehovah's witness, you know, I, it felt kind of (laughs) good. to be able to just... And on top of that, it's a job that I would have never gotten as a witness because of that. And I have pension building up now, which I never had retirement going. I'm 50 years old. I need some retirement money coming coming in soon. Um, and, you know, I have great benefits. My, my um, health benefits are all paid for my family. It's just, it's crazy. Like, things are good. Things are looking up. I have a YouTube channel. I do a crafting. Oh, you do? I do do crafting. Yeah. So I started that in probably November or no, October before I woke up. Um, And so I do a crafting. It's called NorCal Rose Designs. Um, But I'm also, and it's kind of slow, uh, mostly because I'm busy and I don't get to make as many videos. Um, But I'm also wanting to be an activist like you and everybody else. Um, So I'm working on a channel. It's called Bad Association. But I haven't posted anything yet. Um, I'm just I gotta I, before I dive into it. I gotta really feel like I have some substance to put out. So it'll be a it'll be a little while. But I'm I'm starting that process.
0: Well, that so, is yeah. excellent. That is excellent. I'm I'm yeah. pleased to hear that you're you know moving forward. You're fulfilling your ambitions. You know, it's it's a great thing to see.
1: One other thing that I wanted to say is while I was out, I went to college. <laughs> Well, I was inactive. I went to college and I got a a bachelor degree in accounting.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Right. So it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Thank you so much. Um, I'll be sure to link your, your YouTube channel below in the description. Okay. (laughs) And uh, when you have your XJW channel, Bad Association up and running, please let me know. I'd love to look look at your content and share it as well.
1: Okay, sounds good, sounds good. Thank you so much, I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you, thank you. And thank you, Jexatias, for watching. I really hope you enjoyed this interview. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe with notifications to the channel so that you get alerted about all future videos. Thanks again for watching please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.